Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Straight out of Austin, Texas, it's On Second Thought, powered by Hook'em.com, with your hosts, statesman sports columnists, Cedric Golden and Kirk Bowles. Often imitated, never duplicated. Hear it here first on Second Thought. On Second Thought, episode 256, brought to you by Hook'em.com and our good friends at Bud Light. I'm Cedric Golden, and as usual, I'm joined by my guy, Kirk Bowles, Taylor's favorite duck, and Kirk, oh my goodness, Jam packed podcast today. I know this is why you listen to us because we bring it. We've got retiring Big 12 Commissioner Bob Bowlesby joining us. We've got Texas Longhorn legend Derek Johnson joining us. But first, big news coming off the 40 acres. Moro Ojimo makes comments about certain teammates' uh, habits off the field, and Steve Sarkeesian replied in kind, uh, does Texas have a culture problem, Doug? Well, we know they've got some kind of problem. I mean, it's been a problem for a dozen years. So when you only show up at uh, one Big 12 championship game, you know, in the last 10 years, and you've had four losing seasons out of the last eight, that's not a good thing. So we know there are problems. I would just contend Moro Ojimo is not one of them. High character guy, leader, and a and and a truth teller, Doug. We found that out last year because we got him a lot. He's a truth teller, and maybe he was too real. I'm going to let you be the judge. He was asked about the culture at Texas, and this is what he had to say. They have to somehow see the 24-year-old, 25-year-old maybe signing their second contract in the NFL for like $50 million, Mm -hmm. as opposed to seeing the 20-year-old them making 40K off of NIL and sleeping with women and, like, drinking and, like, all that, you know what I'm saying, as opposed to you got $50 million. Now you live in Spanish Oaks. You live in Westlake, you know what I'm saying, traveling when you want. You got the Rolls Royce outside. Like, that's the life they have to see, and they have to understand that it just doesn't happen on autopilot. Duck, chasing women, chasing alcohol, but he had a big-picture mentality. Moro Ojimo sees what this platform at Texas can do for a, a young man in America if he puts in the work. He can be a Derrick Johnson. He can be a Vince Young. He can be a Brian Arakpo, a Colt McCoy, and make $50 million in the league. But there are no shortcuts. And I, that's where I think he was coming from. Was he too real? 
I'm not, I'm not sure, but we like the honesty and I saw his point. He's a stand up guy, uh, has been since the day he got here, does speak his mind. Uh, we have mad respect for him as a person and a player. A couple of things. I think uh, I think Sarkeesian was mad mostly because he's airing their dirty laundry. Oh, before you out. say before you say that, because I know you'll go into game tracker mode. Let's just let them hear what okay. Sark had to say in response to Morrow's comments. I thought the forum was really poor. Um, he should not have done that in public. Um, a player-led team, a really good player-led team. Those issues, and if you have issues with anything, get taken care of in the locker room, get taken care of in the meeting room. Um, if you're really a family, you don't go out and talk about family business. Um, you take care of things internally. So that's the first part. But that's part of us educating these guys on what that looks like and how to do it. Um, I think his intentions were right, but the, the delivery and the form that it was used was poor. Sure. Um, in the end, you know, you have to make sure to mow your own lawn first, and you got to make sure your own house is in order first before you start to discuss uh, what somebody else is doing or how they're doing it. And I think that, that that was a great lesson for all of our guys to say, hey, you know, you can get in this moment, and you can get here in front of cameras and media, and you can get caught up in answering a question. you got to understand the form that you're in. And, you know, we'd like to handle our, any issues that we have internally, and that's truly being player-led, is that when you can approach somebody at their locker, when you can, can approach somebody at lunch, uh, and making sure your house is in order, that your lawn is, is, is mowed properly, then you, can, then you can start to motivate the next player about what he needs to do to raise his level and raise his play. Should you discipline him for that or just message? Oh, he won't be talking to you guys for a while. <laughs> Duck, he kept saying, mow your own yard first. And, and, and part of me, part of what I get from that Moro Ojimo is not Roy Miller. He's not Justin Blaylock. We don't know if he's going to be an NFL player. Um, I think if B. John Robinson said it, it may have taken more, it would have carried more weight because we know he's an NFL running back or even Roshan Johnson, who's a very well, who's un unquestionably one of the leaders in that locker room. Do you think that Sark's response was because it came from Moro Ojimo and not one of the guys that, that's unquestionably a top three or four player in that locker room? I think part of that, but even more than that, I think the fact that he said it to reporters, he you know aired their internal problems uh, to the public. No coach wants that. And I think it's, you know, Sark is from that Nick Saban tree where you keep everything in-house. And so from that standpoint, uh, I don't think it would have mattered who said it. I do think it matters because Morrow has not been a star on the field. He's been he's been a good, steady player. but He's been a no, guy. Nowhere close to a star. He's been a guy. So, and I think. Even that, I think he would even be mad at Bijan Robinson if he'd have named three guys like uh, Moro Ojimo did that said these guys need to grow up. Uh, I, I don't think Sarkeesian uh, particularly liked that. He called out some of his teammates. So I think the fact he's not a star, uh, he called out 
three players by name. Uh, he he aired the dirty laundry outside, which violates Sarkeesian's rule, like keep it in-house. So I think from that stem. And then the fourth thing I would add is that I think he uh, hates the narrative, oh, there's dissension in the clubhouse. No coach wants that. And even if it's not true, or even if there's a little bit, no coach, you know, coach wants total buy-in and you no team is going to have total buy-in. You got 85 scholarship players and a hundred or 110 players total. You might have 80% buy-in. You're not going to have a hundred percent. We both know that, but the illusion uh, that there might be some dissension, you know, I don't think that's that well with Sarkeesian either. It didn't. And I understand Big Brother trying to impart a little old man wisdom to little brother. I get that. But calling him out by name, that was the first strike if I'm the head coach. Um, If he had said, you know, certain guys need to grow up. And and he goes, and, 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 and there's a way to say that. You go, you know, when I was a freshman, I needed to grow up. So that's part of the process, but, but pointing the finger um, and airing it to us, good copy for us, Mm -hmm. good podcast fodder for us, not good for a football locker room that's trying to recover and, and move forward from five and seven. So talented locker room. Yes. Uh, More Ojimo talented cat. But he's not Bijan. He's not X worthy. He's not Agent Zero. Uh, he's he's just a piece of the puzzle. Um, I think he'd be a tremendous heck of tremendous coach one day, or a tremendous motivational speaker. I get a big kick out of Morrow. I think I I really think he's a smart guy. I see some Sam Ocho in him, but I think he did overstep a bit. And we uh, we are probably going to be the losers in this because we won't get to talk to him for a very, very long time. You ask about discipline and Sark said, I'm not talking to you guys anymore. So we get we're going to miss some good quotes from him. But I actually understand why Sark is putting a governor on him because he I, I think he just spoke a little, I think he was just a little too real about a real issue that he sees in his locker room. I don't think it's just so much that we lose, the readers and listeners lose. Well, 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 that means we lose because we can't, sure. we can't give them, we no, can't give them we, what they want. So we all lose. We all lose. Yeah, exactly. And I think, uh, honestly, I think he does uh, Moro a disservice it's like that's part of growing up. That's part of becoming an adult is taking ownership. And, you know, and maybe Morrow could have fallen on his own sword, mowed his own lawn a little better and said, yeah, I'm not perfect. I haven't been a great player, but, you know, I'm older now. This is my, you know, fifth year. And, you know, I'd like to see if these younger players will listen to me. So, you know, I don't know if it hints at a larger problem. I think, you know, I think – they haven't won big in the last dozen years, mostly because they haven't had great talent. Look at the NFL drafts. They haven't had that quarterback who's, you know, 
top 10 in the draft or even first round in the draft. They haven't had a slew of great offensive linemen. You know, mostly you have great defensive backs and some wide receivers, but but not great talent up front or a quarterback. Uh, so I think that's hurt. But, you know, I would also think Sarkeesian would be wise to take Morrow's words at heart and say, maybe we do have a problem here. And who's, and, to, say, and who's to say he didn't? Yeah. Yeah, we don't know. We don't know. I mean, he, he's going to – he's obviously going to silence the messenger, but that doesn't mean the message was wrong. Yeah, problem to go away. If there's a problem, that's still there. Just because Morrow's not going to be able to articulate it anymore in front of an audience doesn't mean it's just gone as a problem. So it'd be interesting – how the players felt about that. And, you know, that's the thing is that, you know, players will still get asked about it. What do you think of Morrow's comments? What do you think of Sark's comments about Morrow? You know, it's, 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 it's out there. Uh, I, I understand where Sarkisian's coming from. I think he could have handled it better just by saying, Hey, you know, this guy's one of the smarter, more mature guys on the team. He hadn't been a great player. So I hate anybody great player or marginal player calling out other players by name. I don't think that's healthy for a team, but you know, it's, it's like Ricky and like when Ricky Williams goes to the Saints and does interviews with his helmet on, you know, that didn't go over very well. So, and I think these players learned, they learned that, you know, what they can say, what they can't, and they're finding their own voice, just like uh, DJ has in our podcast and, you know, his life uh, post NFL. It's all about growing up for these kids. We call them kids or young adults is what they are. So there, there are a lot of lessons, you know, at work, you know, in this narrative. You know, and Doug, and for Christian Jones, Andre Carrick and Jalen Garth, those are the guys he called out, um, you know, younger guys, big guys, um, yeah, they're going to look at him differently now. Probably. And they got some blowback. I'm sure they got some blowback, if if not big on social media, but in their hometowns, in their families. Uh, their, peop- their, their inner circles know that Moro Ojimo uh, called out these guys. And maybe, hopefully, they'll take his, his uh, well-intentioned comments to heart and 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 work harder and and put you know put UT football first and eliminate distractions and or and hopefully it won't um, fester into something ugly in that locker room because they got enough issues on the forty acres duck they lost to Kansas last year they got to get better they got they got to come together and the springtime is a good time to iron out those those little kinks. And and get get rid of those those little bitty pesky uh, distractions that that can grow morph into something uglier uh, come the fall. Yeah, it's you know who knows where it goes if it dies out and we forget about this, but I doubt we'll forget about it. It'll resurface <clears throat> resurface some point in the fall, I'm sure. Whether it's just a hiccup, you know, or a major obstacle, so. Uh, yeah, like I said, there's a lot of lessons to be learned from this. And and I think part of it, too, is Sark learned that you can't muffle every voice 
in the department. And even though he might want to speak authoritatively as the only voice, uh, I don't think that's very realistic because we don't get to talk to too many players. We don't get to talk to any of the assistant coaches. I mean, none of the coordinators, you know, I think that's a disservice to the fans, you know, that want to read and hear from the coaches and they're paying big bucks for these seats and stuff. So, you know, it's still game at heart. And sometimes I think some of these coaches take themselves too seriously. And uh, yeah, it, it wasn't like he said, Sark's a bad coach and there's no buy-in and the coaching staff's the problem. And, you know, it's like, he said there are a few players. He didn't say all of them. He kind of mentioned the young players. And that's part of growing up and part of maturity. So uh, I don't know. I don't know if I'd call Moro a hero, but I sure don't call him a villain. I don't think he meant it malevolently, you know, that he's going to go on the attack and try to embarrass these kids. I don't think he, cares, he did Doug. that at all. He cares. Yes. He gives a crap about this. Exactly. He cares. I think he's he- a good teammate. I think so too, and he, that was his. Uh, that was his attempt at leadership, yeah. stepping out. And I think, I think if he doesn't mention names and just says we got to grow up, yeah. our younger guys got to grow up because we got to be better, then I think he's okay. But 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 he but he just got a little bit, a little bit too descriptive, and uh, pointed some fingers and too specific and. Yeah. And that, that was what drew the ire of his head coach. And the head coach has to make tough decisions. He's talked tomorrow. He's talked to the team already. And we will not be talking tomorrow for probably a very long time. But if they turn this thing around, Kurt, this fall, and they win games, and they get to a good bowl game, and, and they have success, somewhere along the line, we will revisit. Sure. Moro Ojimo's comments because they may end up being prescient for what we see in the 2022 Texas Longhorns. I, I think Sark needs to heed the one message that, or the one lesson from this is that Moro had an agenda and I think it was the betterment of the team. I don't think he meant anything as a disruption or a disservice to what Sarkisian is trying to do. And I would, I would, uh, plead with Sarkeesian to keep that in mind. This is a good guy who wants the team to be better. On second thought. Doug, the Big 12 world was rocked a week ago when when our Commissioner Bob Bowlesby announced he was stepping aside. So what do we do? We had to go get the big dog himself to come explain himself on our podcast. Mr. Bowlesby, how are you, sir? I'm great, guys. Thanks for having me on. So what are you like 40, 42? How old are you now? I I wish I I'd, uh, <laughs> I'd, I'd give just about anything to go back and be 42 again. <laughs> so the big question, Bob, appreciate you being on with us is why now? Why, when did you decide to, to announce this and uh, what went into it and why now? Well, I, you know, I think the situation and the timing are, are good. Um, if there ever is such a thing. Um, you know, I, I wasn't going to walk out during uh, the during COVID. There were just too many things to do. And, uh, you know, when July 21st uh, a year ago came around, uh, the, the Big 12 world got different and, and there there were things to be done. And so I, I didn't feel like I could do it then. 
Uh, we've got a number of things that are coming up, uh, a major media negotiation, uh, the, the CFP changes that I was involved in and, and that we weren't able to get across the finish line. And, uh, you know, there's uh, a, a, a number of lawsuits and judicial goings on and as well as a lot of activities with Congress. And, you know, I, I don't I just don't know that you look forward and see a period of real calm water. And so the more I discussed with our executive committee of the board and uh, the, the more we talked about uh, the circumstances, it, it just became obvious that there there wasn't going to be a really easy off ramp down the road. And so, um, you know, we we spent some time thinking about it. And uh, in the end, it was it was very mutual that, uh, you know, there wasn't going to be an ideal time, but that this time was probably about as optimal as any. Well, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, I didn't see the word retire anywhere in that press release or or in your comments. I saw step aside and all this. You're a youthful 70 years old. And uh, when I tweet, I tweeted, I go, I know Bob and and uh, he might have something up his sleeve. And, and Kyle Bowlesby quickly goes, he's ready to play with his grandkids. So I'm going to give you a chance on the On Second Thought podcast to say the word retire or, or, or just let us know that that door could maybe still be ajar. Well, you know, it's uh... – I think I think Tom Brady has ruined the word retire forever. And so, you know, I, I'm not going to use it quite that way, but I, I do expect to to take it a little more easy. I, you know, honestly, I've been going 100 miles an hour with my hair on fire for 45 years. And, um, I, you know, the, the last two years have taken a toll. I, there isn't any better way to say that. And uh uh, I, you know, I, ex- I expect to be retired, Cedric. I really do. Now that doesn't mean that I won't help Kyle and doesn't mean that I won't maybe get involved in consulting or doing some corporate board work or something like that. But I, I honestly don't expect to, uh, go back to, um, uh, full-time employment. Um, you know, I, I honestly thought when I was, uh, when I was back 42 years old, I thought when I got to be 59 and a half and I could take my TIA CREF and, and retire that I would. And here I am working 12 years longer than that. And, and so, um, I, you know, I just, uh, I, I'm ready for some new challenges. I, I am ready to play with my grandchildren. I've got 10 of them and, uh, and I love every one of them, uh, in, uh, unique ways. And I just, uh, I look forward to spending time with them. So, you know, it, uh, it is retirement for me. Um, you can call it stepping away. If you want, you can call it slowing down, but, um, I, you know, if I, if I were going to continue to work full time, I'd like to stay right with the big 12 and continue doing what I'm doing. But my contract was going to go through 2025 and, uh, I, there wasn't any way I was going to extend it. And so, um, you know, the, the time comes. And, and as you said, I do feel like I'm a, a young 70. I get good workouts almost every day. Um, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not uh, doing what Bill Cosby used to say, making my father's noise. Um, so, you know, I'm, uh, I, I, I'm feeling good and I get good exercise and, and I'm active. And there are a lot of things that I'm interested in. And so um, I, I'll say the word. 
Um, and I'll say it in ways that are not like Tom Brady says it. Nice. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Well, and, and you are, you are a young 70 and, uh, I never looked at you as somebody who might be burned out, uh, which is kind of the popular phrase the last 20 years, maybe burned up a little bit more. So to attack the elephant in the room, how much a factor did the great escape by Texas and OU to SC affect this decision? And along those lines, I just felt like you felt betrayed by uh, close friends and colleagues. Can you address that for us, please? Well, um, the first portion of it first, um, you know, it would be disingenuous to say that it wasn't a factor, uh, but it wasn't a major consideration. I mean, those are those are things you deal with. They aren't a lot of fun. Um, uh, yes, there there were people involved in it that I had considered close friends and colleagues. And um, there's there's some disappointment with that. But you know, in the end, every institution has to do what they think is right for them. And uh, so um, we've moved on. Um, we, we are all subject to obligations uh, in the form of contracts and, and other things. And so uh, we're going to meet our obligations and we expect that others will as well. And um, so, you know, it was, it was one of those things that happened. I, I will tell you that July 21st wasn't one of the best days of my life. Uh, I got, I, I landed after having been at, at KU talking to the football team. And um, I had had lunch with, or been, had a meeting with Bill Self. And uh, when we got on the ground, we heard the rumor, the first breaking rumor from SEC Media Day about Texas and Oklahoma leaving. And we also learned that Bill Snell had uh, tested positive for COVID. So, you know, we, we weren't real sure what uh, crisis to deal with first. But uh, uh, anyway, it, uh, I'll never forget the date. And, uh, you know, it, uh, it is what it is. Those, those things happen. Uh, we've moved on and, and added four great schools and, and great athletics programs and uh, having said that, you don't replace big brands like Texas and Oklahoma. So, you know, it, it is what it is. The, the If there was one word to describe the Big 12, it's resiliency. Well, when you took over <clears throat> a decade ago, you, you you said on the record, it felt like rats leaving a sinking ship. You can't you, you got it. The conference through the post expansion realignment era. Um this Texas OU saga, I still call it a backroom deal because, hell, let's call it what it was. It was a backroom deal. It's going to be part of your story. Um, and I, I know um, you said it's not, it wasn't a huge consideration in your decision. I guess I'm asking, has there been any dialogue with the leadership from those schools uh, since that thing went down? And are there any chances of a reconciliation? Oh, I, I, I'm not going to get into discussing the aspects of those things. Uh, the, the conversations that have been had are confidential. And, and I, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure that there's any, uh, any uh, uh, method in knocking the scab off. Um, it, it's, uh, we expect that they will leave uh, when they've stated they're going to leave, which is June of 25. And um, in the meantime, we're going to make sure that their student athletes and coaches have as good an experience as they possibly can. And, um, you know, we're going to meet our obligations and I'm sure they're going to meet theirs. So, and so you're taking them at their word. That's an interesting concept. Uh, uh, in, in retro in the last nine months, whatever it is, 
in your opinion, do you feel like they just left for more money, more prestige? What would you? Uh, honestly, Kirk, we never have gotten a, a real good answer on that. And neither have we. So they've been, they've been very loud in their silence. I, I will put it that way. Uh, y'all, how do you think they'll perform in the, in the big, in the SEC? Do you feel? Well, I mean, they're big brands. They're, they're big recruiting operations. They've, they've had lots of success. Um, they're, you know, Oklahoma has had a, in, at least in football has had a, a, a good run in our conference over the last few years. Um, Texas has been once in the championship game in the 10 years I've been here. So, you know, there's, uh, um, and, and, you know, OU's in a coaching change. So, uh, you know, I think they both uh, likely have, have challenges and, and, uh, you know, we're, uh, we're going to spend a whole lot more time worrying about trying to be as good as the big 12 can be than, than worrying about how they're going to compete in the sec. 25 national championships in a decade, um, including the last two men's basketball titles. Um, the, the big, the big 12 is thriving, uh, Bob. And, um, but when you lose those two big brands and, and this is a, this is usually a football driven industry. Mm-hmm. You lose those two big brands, even though you're bringing in some really great schools, uh, BYU, Houston, Cincinnati, Central Florida. Um, what's the concern that that you guys are going to lose some bargaining power, uh, especially when it comes to those the, those very lucrative TV deals that were driven because you had those two big brands uh, leading the charge for this conference? Yeah, well, you know, what you identify is uh, altogether accurate. Uh, the long and the short of negotiations are that, you know, it's only worth what somebody will pay you for it. You can, you can do all the diagnostics on it and all the analytics you want to, but in the end, it's going to be uh, how bad they need uh, the uh, inventory and, um, and, and how valuable they find it to be relative to, to other uh, similar packages. And so, uh, you know, when we were, out, uh, our consultants were talking to people around the college football playoff. Uh, we, you know, we, we heard that there were more entities that wanted to be involved in college football than there were the last time around, uh, both in terms of the postseason and in terms of, of the regular season. That's a good thing for, for us and, and for everybody else. But in the end, it's only worth what somebody's going to pay for it. And that, and some of that will be situational. Um, I, you know, I think the, the thing that, um, I always remember is that, uh, you, you look at, uh, the hundred highest rated, highest viewed, uh, cable television programs over the last year and look at any year in the past, about 95% of them are live sports. And so live sports is, is the coin of the realm. Um, it's really the only thing out there that drives, uh, advertising uh, in in the same way that that uh, it used to be, uh, broadcast TV is continues to be a big part of it. And there, you know, when cable came around, everybody said, "Well, broadcast TV is dead." Well, there's still 125 million homes that have broadcast TV. 
Um, now that streaming is coming, uh, well, the bottom's going to fall out of linear cable. Uh, yeah, it's declining, but uh, in streaming is the 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 uh, modality of the future. But uh, cable's not going to go away. Uh, it's it's too easy and uh, and it's too accessible. So you know, I, I just think even in an evolving environment in terms of how distribution takes place. Um, uh, college sports, live sports in general, is always going to be valuable. And um, how, how well, how valuable it is relative to other things in the marketplace is all about how bad they need it. And uh, if they need it bad, we'll get a big price. Uh, if they need it less bad, um, we'll, we'll get less for it. And uh, along those lines, Bob, do you think with what uh, y'all added to the conference, the four teams, different states, adding eyeballs sort of thing. Do you, are you confident that the Big 12 can be on that competitive level with the other Power Five conferences and, and be competitive and uh, on the athletic fields, consequently? Yeah, without question. Um, actually, uh, Cedric mentioned the, the basketball tournaments. Um, you take the two schools out and put the four schools in, our net rating improves. So, you know, and, and now Houston has a lot to do with that. They've played at a high level, of, particularly right. the last two years, but BYU has played consistently at a high level. And, you know, Cincinnati is one of the storied basketball programs in the country. And so, you know, I, I expect uh, um, to do well in all sports, but uh, football is the coin of the realm and, and uh, it drives a lot of the, the television revenue. And so, um, you know, we need to compete well. Um, you know, Cincinnati was in the in the championship game or championship this year. Uh, UCF uh, certainly uh, could have been argued they would have been uh, a, a reasonable candidate uh, three years ago and four years ago. BYU has played habitually in the uh, in the top 25. And Houston, I think, arguably is in the best recruiting area uh, for football players in the entire country. Um, so, you know, I, I just think uh, we're adding 200,000 alums. We're adding some states with big populations, uh, big recruiting areas. Um, I, th I think there is literally nothing that's standing in the way of us being highly competitive in football and every other sport that we sponsor. And along those lines, Bob, would it have made sense to have added these four, you know, a few years ago when y'all basically auditioned, asked for open auditions for these teams and chose to stay put? Do you think had y'all maybe added these four, maybe, you know, they wouldn't have had all this chaos and disruption? Uh, well, that's hard to say because um, there weren't enough votes to, to bring new members in at the time. And, um, in the end, you, you know, you can you can make as good a case as 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 you possibly can. And if you if you can't garner the number of votes that you need, then you're not going to bring anybody new in. And so we we never did announce uh, who voted how. But, um, you know, there uh, you can speculate. <laughs> and I'll be happy to. Uh... But thing is, if, if even the big dogs vote against expansion, they're the minority. You've got eight other schools that could have said, no, 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 we want long-term stability. And they could have voted, yay, bring on Houston, yep. Cincinnati, so on. But that 
fell on deaf ears, I, su- I guess. Well, that, that's been the nature of the politics uh, in the conference. Yeah, unfortunately. Uh, you talked about the four. I bet you could have added another four or another eight, if you will. Could you foresee the time, Bob, when, okay, let's go look at Arizona, Arizona State, or look at, you know, Nebraska's had zero success in the Big Ten. Maybe they'd be interested in coming back because big, bad Texas is gone. So could you see foresee the day where you don't, you know, stay put and the Big 12 grows even larger? Yeah, well, I, you know, I think it's going to have to depend upon whether or not um, – we look at the at the landscape and um, are convinced that being larger uh, brings advantages. Uh, you know, I don't think you expand uh, just for the sake of expansion. I, right. I think you have to have schools that bring value and and bring the things that the four new people brought. Um, you know, ours was a it was a targeted process this last time around and. And it probably would be a targeted process going forward. And I certainly wouldn't foreclose, even though obviously it's not going to be my decision. But, um, you know, I I think that uh, there probably could be some circumstances down the road that would uh, inform the the league getting larger, especially if some of the other conferences begin to get, uh, get larger. But, you know, I don't think that's a foregone conclusion. And you'd always have to add, members that are going to bring real value and, and real competitive uh, equity. You're going to, you're, those four schools are coming in 2023, right? Well, they've, they've all, uh, BYU is coming in 2023 and the other three have said not later than July 1st, 2024, but I know that they're trying to extricate themselves uh, so they can be here in 23. Would, 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 wouldn't it behoove the big 12 to figure out what this brave new world is going to be get those schools in there and, and get those other two out um, as soon as possible? Or, or or do you see a day when there's going to be 14 Big 12 teams with Texas and OU maybe for a season? Yeah, well, it's, uh, you know, our, our grant of rights uh, goes until uh, June 30th of 25. And uh, all of our current 10 members are participants in that. So the conference uh, has... Uh, those aggregated rights and um, probably uh, not going to relinquish them uh, easily. And uh, so I, I think we likely will have 14 for a while, but uh, you know, there's nothing that says uh, there, there's always a negotiation to be had and you, you just uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. And that, that exit fee, if you will, Bob, but, uh was widely reported by a lot of us at 80 million. Does that go down by 20 million each year? So if Texas and OU wanted to uh, get out right now, would it cost each of those schools 60 million? Well, it's, it doesn't go down every year because it's uh, what it, what it is, is, is two years of rights fees. And so the rights fees are continuing to go up uh, to two years of distributable revenue. Uh, our distribution this year will be uh, in the low 40s, and okay. um, and so it's it's always going to be double that whenever they get out, and mm-hmm. uh, and then but that doesn't even take into account the grant of rights and uh, the value of the TV inventory. So what would uh, it cost each of the two schools? Uh, 
I, I don't want to speculate, but it's a big number. So maybe a billion dollars, maybe. Uh, <laughs> Something that's, like that. that's your your words, not mine. <laughs> uh, was there anybody else dying to get in that, you know, I don't know which was first pick or the fourth pick of your four newcomers, but I would imagine there are a lot of other people beating down your door that you could have had 20 teams if you wanted to. Was there one or two others that, Boy, they were really close. They were right there knocking on the door. Not that I'm going to share with you, Kirk. <laughs> I just Bob, love when he does that. I, really, I just love when he asks a damn question that he's never, he never going to. Hey, Bob, what's your, I'm social, never gonna answer. Bob, what's your social security number? I mean, yeah, just give just give it to us. There's only, hey, there's only 10,000 people listening. You know what? My social security number never had any value until a couple of months ago when I filed for social security. Now, now it's got real value. <laughs> Quit hey, I'll, I'll tell you mine. Mine, I'm so old. Mine is number two. That's how old I am. So. <laughs> hey, I got to ask you this. Um, uh, you were always big in the, uh, the, the college football playoff expansion committee and, you said when the 12 team idea came up, you told me, you said, there's some kinks in this thing. It's not a slam dunk and they're having problems. Do you think this will eventually happen and what's holding it up? Uh, the answer is yes, it will eventually happen. Um, and I think it'll be a 12 team format. Um, there are just, uh, uh, many reasons why it makes a lot of sense. Um, not the least of which is the the strength that it brings to the regular season. I mean, with with three weeks to go in the season, you're going to have 25 or 30 teams that have a legitimate claim to getting into the playoff. That's going to be great for regular season TV. It's going to be great for regular season attendance. Um, it, it will be a, a wonderful environment for college football. But beyond that, um, expanding the access is, you know, the inclusion that goes along with that is really uh, going to keep uh, uh, college football strong. And uh, so I think all of that is, uh, you know, there there will be some some mismatches like there are in the NCAA basketball tournament, uh, but there'll also be some surprising outcomes. And uh, it will be a great story when, uh, you know, a coastal Carolina plays their way through two rounds of the tournament. And, you know, that'll that'll happen. Um, that's, that's, a you know, that's Cinderella on a big, big stage. And so it, it will happen. Um, it has to happen, uh, sometime before year 12, because the playoff essentially goes away after year 12. And so absent, uh, a new format and absent a new revenue sharing program and absent a new TV package, um, there is no playoff. And so um, that really, for me, was the, the sort of um, illogical element of it was we're, we're kicking the can down the road. Uh, we're foregoing a lot of revenue that we could have captured in the last in years 11 and 12 of the playoff. Um, and we're still going to have to make the decision fairly soon. It's not like we're, we're eliminating the possibility of making the decision. We're, we're still going to have to do all the things that we were incapable or unwilling to do um, just recently. So it's probably just a year or two down the road from, do you think it will not, not even two years. It, it's uh, within the next 12 months, we're going to have to be back at the table. And would we have to see 12 years of the 14 playoff? No. It could no, change. It, no, it wouldn't. It wouldn't have to be 12 years. It could be okay. 
you know, it's probably going to be some multiple that uh, that gives you, you know, reasonable structure around it. But, uh, you know, could be a four year deal, could be an eight year deal. Um, you know, you, the, the more television pays you uh, for the rights, the longer they're going to want to go. Uh, right. The shorter you go, generally speaking, the less you're going to get. Right. And uh, who's taking your job, by the way? My job? Yeah. Who's going to take your current? I, I haven't the vaguest idea, nor do I expect to be asked. Oh, really? Why oh, would they're they going to ask you, Bob. Stop it. Stop they have it. to ask you. They're going to ask. Why do you say that? Um, well, it's, if they want me, if they if they want to pose questions to me or vet candidates or ask me about search firms, I'll be happy to participate on whatever basis I'm invited to. But uh, I certainly have no expectation that I'll be uh, in the middle of it. Well, that's not very wise on the part of whoever's remains not to tap into your vast knowledge. One question I would like to ask you on the criteria, you know, we see, you know, Jim Phillips, ACC president go from AD on campus at Northwestern. We see uh, George Kliakoff with uh, the Pac-12 come from MGM Sports. I'd never heard of his name before. Uh, Kevin Warren, the Big Ten, came from the Minnesota Vikings. So would you say the qualifications should be better served if you come from on campus like you did at Stanford and Iowa or look at a more business executive type like a Larry Scott who came from pro tennis? To be commissioner. Well, you know, it's going to be a decision that's made by a group of presidents with a search firm advising them. And, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I guess I probably could have been considered a non-traditional candidate having never worked in a conference office. Um, I suppose it could be alleged that I didn't, didn't know enough about certain aspects of, of what was going on at the conference office. Um, you know, I, I felt like I was particularly well prepared simply because I, re, I knew what I, the ADs were thinking and I had worked for a lot of presidents and, and pretty much knew what they were up against. And I think those two things really helped me. Um, you know, we find ourselves in um, a lot of media negotiations and certainly you wouldn't want someone in this role that was devoid of, of any experience in that space. And so you know, I, I think there's probably a, a balance that comes there, and it could it could be a, a non-traditional candidate uh, that that has particular management skills and particular negotiating skills. But you know, if you if you have somebody that's never worked around um, a conference office uh, and hasn't been around compliance mechanisms and hasn't been around um, you know, local TV packages and hasn't been around officiating and scheduling and those things, then I think you have to find somebody to complement that person uh, who does, who is good at that. And on the other hand, if you, you know, you hire somebody that's uh, 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 more traditional uh, with, with greater experience on campus, um, you know, perhaps you need to rent the, uh, the media expertise and, and be careful about who your consultants are and that sort of thing. So, you know, I, I don't know that, that you necessarily have to exclude any particular type of candidate, um, but uh, where there are weaknesses and we all have weaknesses and strengths, you need, you need to compensate for those things. And sometimes you do it by hiring. Sometimes you do it by, 
by, uh, you know, renting uh, somebody as a consultant or, you know, there are more than one way around the block. But uh, so, I, you know, I don't uh, I, I think there'll be a, an array of candidates. I, I expect that um, they'll come from all the areas that we've talked about. Well, you mentioned the media. I don't think Cedric is interested. He doesn't want to take a pay cut. So, uh, <laughs> right, Seth? When did I start getting paid? What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Speaking uh, of money, I got to ask you about this, Bob. Uh, NIL has changed the face of collegiate athletics. Money's flowing. It's there for the taking and good for the kids that are taking advantage of this opportunity. Uh, the NCAA doesn't appear to be trying to control this, and I don't know that they can. But are you concerned that there'll come a day when there's this avalanche of cash and you got kids in the 11th grade cashing million-dollar checks, and we don't even know if they're college material? Well, there, there, there is a lot of, uh, of activity, and, um, you know, there's some of it that's really raising eyebrows. You know, the, the fact of the matter is there aren't very many kids that are engaged in NIL. When, when you, you look at a 110 kids on a football roster, there's maybe eight of them that are, that are doing anything really significant in, in the NIL space. But that doesn't mean it's not just as complicated for those that are not making a lot of money. And it's, uh, it's also a management issue for a football or basketball coach when you got a, a handful of people making a lot of money and, and a whole bunch of people not making any. Uh, all of a sudden, you have two classes of people on your, on your team. And so, you know, it's created a lot of um, unforeseen uh, friction and tension um, within squads. Uh, there are, as you noted, a few a few young people that are making a lot of money at it. Um, there are getting to be a whole bunch of people that are outside the the traditional athletic sphere that are now interjecting themselves as agents and representatives and people that are um, presenting deals for kids and and it's it's very different. I I was uh, on the the group that was looking at putting some guardrails around all of this. And, and essentially the NCAA just put on the brakes at the, in the 11th hour and said, you know, we're not going to put anything in place because we were afraid we're going to get, uh, get sued again. And probably we would have, but it would have been infinitely better than what we've got now, which is unregulated and unenforceable. And um, so, you know, whether or not we can unring that bell and get back to some um, semblance of normalcy and some semblance of, uh, of reasonableness uh, is anybody's guess. But my, my guess is that the transfer portal and the NIL and some of those kinds of things will, will level out a little bit. You know? and, and the reason I say that is that you look at, uh, you look at football student athletes in the portal. Um, I think there were about 2,000 kids in the portal this last year. About half of those, between 40 and 50 percent, were walk-ons. They didn't have any scholarship, and they were out looking for one. Mm. The other half, uh, about half of they were they were all scholarship kids, and about half of them went in the portal and found a new scholarship, and about half of them went in the portal and didn't find a new scholarship. Wow. So, as you think about um, the risk of of leaving a full scholarship and going into the portal knowing that you're not going to turn back and go back to the institution you were at. Uh, typically they're not welcome once they go into the, into the portal. 
um, you know, that's bound to have uh, a, a calming effect on the numbers and the the thought process by which you enter into the portal. You're not going to have one bad practice and say, hell, I'm out of here. Um, it's a, so I, you know, over time, I think these things will settle in. Uh, I, I don't happen to be one of those people that believe that the federal government is eventually going to solve any of these problems for us. I, you know, they're doing such a wonderful job on other things in our country. It's hard to, hard to imagine that they, uh, they couldn't solve our problems too. <laughs> Um, be that as it may, I, I do think uh, that that they'll they'll it, there'll be a leveling effect going forward, and uh, and we'll settle into uh, a new normal. And you know, I like you. I think it's uh, I, I think it's more than fair that kids are able to make some money off their name, image, and likeness. But you know, it's not somebody just walking in the door and saying, "Here's a bunch of money." There's there's a lot of work that's required. You know, if you're you're going to manage an active website or an active Twitter uh, site, uh, you're you're going to have to produce some content. And um, so we'll see, we'll see how it goes. But uh, on its face, I don't I don't see anything wrong with name, image, and likeness. Um, we always said it wasn't supposed to be used as an inducement, and obviously it is being used as an inducement. And so I, I do think there are some places where we ought to at least try to put some guardrails up. I know we only got about three or four minutes left. Uh, you're still interested in being the NCA president if uh, that job comes open? Not, not for any amount of money. Smart man. <laughs> Smart man. <laughs> so uh, no, no other job uh, has some appeal for you, right? Right now. Well, you know, the, the job I'm going to have is one that I'm not sure that the people want me to have. And that is, I'm going to be around the, the, the house offering to help my wife. And she's <laughs> let me know that she really doesn't need my help at any level. And so I'm going to need to find something to do. But uh, it isn't uh, it, it isn't it isn't going to be another full time job in athletics. And I, I got a feeling it's not going to be a full time job around the house either. <laughs> Just do your chores and say, yes, yes, whatever you want. Yes, yes, Bob, except those golf clubs, Bob, you're about to yeah. get really good at golf. Well, I, you know, it's Cedric. I used to play pretty well. And, uh, and I, I may, my, my back and my shoulders won't go into the positions that they went into when I did play a little better, but, uh, I've, I've pledged that I'm going to, uh, get some lessons and have somebody help me remake my swing. So, you know, maybe I'll go on the senior tour. There you go. There I you like go. Oh, it didn't have, to, didn't have to be the super senior tour though, wouldn't it? <laughs> they are super seniors around. I like it. Well, Bob, uh, we appreciate you being with us. You've always been one of our favorites and uh, been very gracious with your time with both Cedric and me over the years. Yes, and, sir. Uh, you, you just have left a tremendous legacy. You've uh, helped this conference survive and succeed at a high level. And uh, from both of us, we want to thank you for that and thank you for your professionalism and Wish you a wonderful retirement. Well, thanks, you guys. I, I appreciate those kind words very much, Kirk. And it's nice to be with both you guys. And uh, um, I, uh, I will look forward to seeing you on the trail. I won't. You, you won't be completely rid of me. It's <laughs> good to hear. Don't be a stranger. That's right. Thank thanks, you, Bob. Guys. Enjoy those grandkids. Yeah, thanks. Take care. Take care. On Second Thought. Well, Doug Bob Bowlesby gave us some insight on why he's out of the Big 12. 
soon, but we've got a all-time legend who dominated the Big 12 at the University of Texas, Derek Johnson, joining us. DJ, what's up? Hey, what's going on? Appreciate the introduction, my man. <laughs> You're looking good. You're looking good. Why are you not playing still? Oh man, you know what? I'm chasing around my kids. I, you know, my 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 uh, my my defense, my zone defense is a lot better now than it was in the in the NFL. I'll tell you that, boy. I got six <laughs> kiddos running. And I keep man, I, Duck, I saw him at the Colt McCoy football camp a few months ago, and DJ can't play linebacker with their little old bitty <laughs> legs now. <laughs> what do you weigh now? You look like a marathon runner. You, you know what? I am two oh five. You know what? And I'm and, and my mom. She's so she's so old school. She's like, hey, I need, you need to come back home. Let me fatten Fat you up. up. Yeah. <laughs> you still training, huh? You still oh, training. yeah, yeah, yeah. We're definitely doing a lot kids. of cardio, doing a lot of cardio and uh, r- running every day. But uh, as far as chasing the kiddos and their schedules, uh, that keeps me busy. What are their age range, DJ? Oh man, I got I got th- I got three junior high kiddos. I got a second grader. I got a three year old. They're they're all boys, five boys, and <laughs> and a one year old girl. So Baby girl, good for you. <laughs> Here's the thing: those are elementary school kids, and Derek Johnson has put his money where his mouth is. Where it comes when it comes to elementary school. The Defend the Dream Foundation, founded by DJ in 2012, teaming up with AISD and the Austin Ed Fund to transform 16 area libraries and unused areas into what we call discovery dens, which we use to encourage literacy and an enthusiasm for learning for the kiddos. DJ, man, it's great work. I did a story on it. It's on statesman.com and hookup.com. Um, what put it on your heart? And you've always been civic minded, dating back to your days with the Chiefs. What put it on your heart to bring this initiative to the five one two? Oh man, uh, well, it's an extension of me. It's an extension of me. When you talk about being an inner city kid, uh, growing up in a in a household where my mom was a teacher for for, for forever, and uh, that's what I know. Uh, and she instilled a lot of great values at a, at a young age by staying humble. Education is very, very important, especially if you want to do anything in life. I don't care how good you are uh, on the football field, on soccer field, whatever it is, uh, education has to be top priority. And uh, for me to uh, be a blessing to younger generation and kids that are less fortunate, uh, this is this is right up my lane for me to to give back through education and uh, specifically literacy, childhood and literacy. So uh, to raise their their levels of reading before they get out of elementary. It's a big, big deal to me. Did you like school? You-, you know what? I, I honestly, n- not really early, uh, okay. but uh, because I was one of those mischievous kids that you know you get in trouble here and there just for doing little silly stuff. But uh, my mom, my mom straightened that up real quick. I mean, she, <laughs> I mean, I couldn't. You know what? I, I, and I tell people this all the time. I used to get frustrated because my mom was a school teacher because I didn't get away. I didn't get away with nothing. Nope. I just really didn't get away with nothing. So it, it, it did teach me some good habits, you know, uh, kill some bad habits at that. But at, at, at some point, you know, developing good habits, you know, form who you are. And then as you get older, older, you appreciate it more. And now you got a, a good, good foundation. And uh, I definitely owe that to my mom. Doug, um, I talked to Miss Beverly Johnson for over <laughs> an hour. 
And let's just say she didn't play back then. <laughs> and she don't play now. I can tell you that right now. Uh, Absolutely. Reminded me of Gene Golden. And, uh, you know, Gene, Gene Golden and Spread That Rod. And I know your parents didn't spread a rod, Duck. We've Absolutely. had conversations about that. But, man, just su- such a great distinguished career with the Kansas City Chiefs. 13 seasons. Um, and probably could have played some more um, to be able to give back. And you told me in the piece that you had you didn't realize what your mom's impact was on that until you had the money and and the platform to do it. Uh, when did that light go off go off for you? And and uh, when did you go, man? I, I I've got a platform. I can give this. I can make my my city better. Yeah, definitely. Um, when I was at, um, I used to have a leadership class at the University of Texas. And uh, it was under Dr. Lauderdale, actually. And we're, uh, I think he's maybe still there. But uh, um, we used to have a leadership class where we used to go out and mentor uh, elementary kids. And I'm telling you, man, help them with their work. I mean, it was so refreshing. And I I had that first taste of, man, this is, my mom does this for a living. Like this, this is, you know, so this, it was like, man, I can really relate to this. And I felt so good to uh, give back to the kids. And they was just all, they were like, they, they wanted us to come. Like they couldn't wait for the UT football players to come into them once a week. And it, it was actually, we wanted to do it even more. I tell you what, uh, I tell you this, once I got out of, out of UT, start making a little bit of money. Uh, I, I, it's crazy I say that now. Uh, if I was back then, I, I would I would have been making a little bit of money then. Yeah, you did. There you go. <laughs> you had to stretch that twenty five dollars. You told me that. I know, uh, but I tell you what. Um, after being with the Kansas City Chiefs and being able to be financially set, uh, man, it gave me the platform to say, "Hey, this is what I this is what I want to do. I want to be a philanthropist. This is what I want to do after football, even." But it gave me an opportunity to start it while I was, you know, still had that um, that fresh um, face that was on the TV at that time. And now. Um, I don't have to do it. So this is the, this is one of the best things, you know, I'm financially set, got my family, wife, kiddos, and we can chill and, you know, live off to the sunset. But uh, that's not how I grew up. My, I grew up. It's about, if you're a blessing, you got to be a blessing to others because, yes, you know, what are you here for? If you're not, you're not helping, if you didn't help anybody, you know? So if it's not, if it's, you know, that's that selfish mentality or, or, or making sure you're sensitive to other people's needs and uh, uh, inner city kids, it's, it's where my heart's at. And you're right. It's all about giving back and helping others. That's why we're here. And uh, yep. I was curious about if you grew up a reader, it's hard to sometimes instill that in, in young kids. And, you know, now that you've been involved with this in such a gra- grassroots level, what do you think the key is to, to getting kids hooked on reading early? And I'm sure you know what? athletes have a big impact on that. Yeah, you know what, Kurt? That's that's a good question. I wasn't the best reader. Like, I wasn't the best reader. Obviously, I can read and write, right. but it was one of those things where I had to work on it. I mean, there were times where my mama would be fussing at me because, you know, you, you got to read these novels. I mean, I'm in fifth, you know, fourth, fifth grade and sixth grade. You got to read books and then you have to do a little research on them. And she would, before I take a test the next day at school, she would quiz me like, hey, after you read this book, come in here. I'm, she'll, she'll be grading papers or doing whatever. She's right. like, hey, after you get through reading, come in here and uh, um, tell me, you know, see what you comprehended. 
and I'll come in and I'll, good, I'll just <laughs> learn this. And, and she's looking like, go back. I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm going to be here all day. So, but what it taught me was you got to be intentionally read. And, and I tell you what, my mom's a math teacher. And that's why I'm in reading because reading is a foundation of everything. Oh, yeah. The day. I mean, even in math, when you start getting word problems and all this stuff, you got to got to be able to read. And I tell you what, by her um, um, putting a hard, stern hand on me to saying, hey, no, some tough love. Like, no, this is this is very, very important. Obviously, I knew uh, she's a math teacher. So math, math came a little bit easier earlier. Uh, reading had I had to work at it. But I, I think that story is great because it didn't come easy. Like some kids. You know, you think like, oh, it's oh, they're a re- they're a reader, so it's easy. Like, no, it's a lot of kids that aren't readers, right? And, and and it's hard for them to comprehend certain stuff. But if you work at it, if you if you just develop good habits and just say, hey, no, the, the harder you work, the the more you get out of. If you don't work at it, you just you kind of as you as you get as you know, the more grade level you go, the higher you go, the harder it gets, the more vocabulary, right. words. And just everything kind of compounds on you. So reading at an early age, uh, uh, my my kids my kids know about that for sure. Like having access to books, and you've what donated twenty thousand books already. That's just wonderful. Yeah, absolutely, that that that's part of it right there. If you have those resources for them, uh, um, they still have to do the work, obviously. Sure. But you make it easier and accessible for them to say, "All right, no, I don't I don't really have a big excuse." Right. I'm curious as far as when you were going to UT, DJ, and I don't know when you left uh, uh, inside with Kansas City, I don't know how many hours you had left uh, to graduate. And I'm curious if there are courses you think colleges should offer, especially to these athletes that, you know, they all think they're going to be DJ. They all think they're going to be, you know, have 13 years in the league and make all this money and be pro bowl and everything. But it's not that way for most, as we know, it's that, do you think the colleges are doing enough to, you know, educate and train uh, these athletes to, you know, cope with, you know, life in the pros, life after the pros? I, I think I think we. Uh, that's a great question. I, I think um, which is very important because I mean, if you take a hundred college athletes, I mean, maybe. 10, 15, depending on, you know, what school you're at, they'll, they'll be, you know, at the next level, but the rest of the guys, uh, um, um, you know, have to get going early, got to get their career going early. Uh, uh, But I think the colleges do give them the proper resources, um, um, but um, there, we have to be more intentional about putting it in front of their face. Cause a lot of these guys, you know, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 year olds. And you're telling them, you know, to, to look further down the line, which is hard to do. You want them to, but that's not, that, that, that's not uh, realistic. Uh, but the reality is they do need more uh, classes that, that, that are specific to what they're going to do later in life or mm-hmm. just some, um, financial uh, um, literacy stuff, um, um, some childcare stuff, some things, you know, put them around kids, you know, um, do things that, that, that like a normal family would do and, and just see what they, you know, see what they think about it. I, I, I think, I think, cause after I finished, um, after I left you, um, the chiefs, I actually went back to school and I took a few classics. I had like maybe had 20 hours left. Um, I should have, the whole time, my mom, by the way, my mom, while I was in the league, she's like, 
Derek, you know you got to get your degree. I mean, you know, I know you didn't. I, I know you you're trying to, you know, be a Hall of Fame player and stuff, but uh, you got to get your degree, you know, you know. And I always kept that in my back of my head. Um, but I, I got it. I actually went back to school. I was on campus. So I went to the classes. I was with football players. I was with everybody. And I'm in there. And certain things are happening. I'm like, I'm, I'm taking notes. And I'm doing stuff. I'm thinking, man, when I was in college, you know, I was, I didn't listen this much. I, I'm really, like, I'm really learning. I'm really in tune to everything, trying to be a perfectionist. And I tell you what, man, uh, um, it, it was a blessing because I got my degree. And now that when I tell my kids, when I push them and say, hey, you got to, you got to go to college, buddy. Like that, that's our goal. We got to go to college because. Uh, college, I, I believe in college because college, you can see a better life for yourself. It's just, oh, yeah. you get around different people. It's just like, it's awesome. Like you got to experience. It's not just talk. And right. and now they don't, they wouldn't come back and say, well, dad, you didn't, you know, you, you didn't get your degree and all that. Cause you know, you may, you know, my path's a little different, but now it's like, no, I got my degree. Here it goes right here. You know, I'll, I'll post it up here. It goes right here. So I don't care what you're doing in life. I don't care if you're going to be an NBA star, you're going to get your degree. That's yes, important. sir. That's important. You meant, you mentioned young kids, 18 to 22. Um, we got to talk about what's going on with the program right now. Absolutely. Big controversy. Moro Ajomo comes out uh, recently and make some very pointed comments saying certain teammates aren't bought in. They're just out to make $50 million, not putting in the work. They're chasing women. They're chasing alcohol. And he said it publicly. Um, and Coach Sarkeesian was non too pleased. And he, he basically told us that we won't be hearing from Mo, Moro Ajomo again for a long time. Now you were never on a losing team at Texas. I mean, you you were you're on a team that was good enough to maybe win a national championship twice. Um, the the one team and the 4 team. Right. So, what did you think about Sarkeesian saying you got to keep that stuff in house and the leadership that you had in your locker rooms in your four years? Uh, would that ever have been a problem? Uh, in your stay here at Texas? Well, uh, I, this is the first time me hearing that story. And I tell you what, um, um, it, it's, it's not out of the blue because uh, I've heard people say that before. Um, I, that's, that's tough. That's tough because that's, 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 that's real, right? You know, that, that's reality right there. Uh, of course, you want to keep uh, whatever problems you think are happening in-house and, 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 and coaches and players, you gotta, you gotta come together. That's, that's what makes a, a close-netted team. When you can go through uh, tough times or some kind of adversity or something, you know, when I played, we, we won a lot of games, but it wasn't all perfect. I mean, there's some stuff in the locker room and some, some talks, some, some fist fights between some players uh, that, that we don't talk about, but, but it's one of those things where we keep it in house. It's one of those things where it's like, no, no, we're going to keep, we're going to figure it out and keep it in house because once we, once the lights turn on and it's, you know, on Saturday to get out there, we'll have our stuff together, you know, but um, um, it's something that they have to go through. And I gotta, I gotta say hats off to, to, to this day and age, it's a lot more distractions. Don't get me wrong. You still got drinking and girls and all that stuff. It's, that's always there. Right. Mm -hmm. But just the distraction with the social media and just 
everything. They players, you got to be even more focused now than you was back in the day. I mean, it's just it just is what it is. As far as being a coach, um, um, you got to be even closer to your players because players wow. are talking to this person, talking to that person, and just everybody's pulling at you. You got this NIL deals, and and there's some pros and cons to it. Don't get me wrong, but you know, uh, uh, you know. All money is not good money at the end of the day. Um, but uh, who who's going to have the, um, the, the 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 determination and the focus to uh, manage all of that, man? That's a lot to manage. And uh, um, and at the end of the day, it comes down to the head coach. And 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 I like Sartre. I really do. I think he's a heck of a coach. Uh, young guy that's I love being around. He's one of those mm-hmm. guys where I'm like, man, it's a uh, uh, you know certain guys you're around, you like. Man, he's easy to talk to. You know, he's a guy that's really welcoming. He's he's young, but he's he's really an old school football coach. He kind he's he's very smart about football. He's all football guy. You know, he's not he's uh, simple in the best way. He's very he's not it. very complex when it comes to all that other stuff. And that's why we have hope with Sark. Um, but with this incident, I tell you what, um, um, I, I think it'll blow over. It's 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 not out in the ordinary. Like that that's not something that's. It's, oh my goodness, I can't believe he said, you know, um, that's happening. Um, if it is, it needs to be uh, addressed in-house. Sark has, to, Sark has to, you know, do his thing and uh, be a head coach and, and handle it. But there's a lot of things. I mean, I, I, we won, I've won a lot in the past with Mac Brown, and um, um, there's some conversations that, that, never, that never hit the fan. Um, but I tell you what, um, as players, we respect each other at the end of the day. And uh, if somebody's going through something, that's your brother. And, uh, um, and, and if, if you think something's wrong with this person, that person, go up to that person, man. Hey, you, 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 this is not going to help us win. So um, we need to fix it or we, we need to do something else. So now you had a stable situation playing your whole career under Mac, where now, you know, Charlie's here three years, he's gone. Herman's here four years, he's gone. Mark's <laughs> on year two after a five and seven record. Is, is it just kind of blow your mind, DJ, on why Texas has fallen, you know, like it has? Yeah, you know what? I'm, I'm small. I'm one of the fans now. I'll yeah. tell you what, I, I'm, I'm, I, you know, I, I'm, my, my, expectations, my expectations are very high in – and I'm not going to drop them. It's just what it is. I'm with the fans. Love I'm that. Here. Love that. Yeah, we we got to we have to right because if you right. you drop your expectations, then you're not going to get much throughout the years, and we're never going to get back. We got to get back. And uh, um, um, like I said, it's it's you know it's it's different from the NFL. You know, if if you're down a year, you go out and go get Tyreek Hill. You go out and do this. You go, you know, you you, you yeah. can do that, right? It's now it's about getting the right good young guys in here to get, uh, um, recruiting a couple players. That's a little bit better than everybody else. And, and not, not everybody. And you don't have to get 20 uh, blue chippers, but you get a few of those guys. And, and now other guys are raising their levels. Like a Dakari Pearson is raising this level. Uh, Philip Geiger, they're raising this level. Other guys around them, guys that don't play in the NFL, but you say, man, they, they're, they're playing for us. You know, you know, you got the Billy, Pittman's and the guy, you know, you got yes. those guys that's out there and, and playing with blue chippers and now they're raising their level. So, like I said, you got to get a couple guys, a few guys, not a couple uh, uh, that are that are just a little bit better than everybody else. 
I, I'm not a recruit. I don't know how that goes. I, you know, uh, Mac Brown recruited me. I tell you what, my, my mom was uh, trying to make me um, um, commit early. I'm like, mom, they they're gonna they they're gonna they're gonna wait for me a little bit. Gonna <laughs> be there. I'm Derek there. Johnson. I'm Derek Johnson. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh and, and you said and you said in the article Sid wrote about you, you hadn't really found your niche yet. Uh, what do you? I guess you're open to a whole lot of things. Where do you see yourself going in in the education world as a uh, a counselor, as a sports psychologist, as a no, politician? Yeah. You know, as a coach. You know what? Uh, you know what? That's a good question. I'm still figuring that out. Um, um, my first mind, soon as um, if you would have asked me a few years ago while I was playing football, I say, man, I want to be a coach. Oh yeah, you know, because I'm, I'm 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 all X's and O's. You know, right. I, I see the game now. When I watch it, I, I pause it. I can't I can't watch it regular like a regular fan. I gotta really like I gotta really okay. slow it down and uh, just. Um, anticipate certain things happening. I'm just all in it. Um, um, I love that. But uh, being a coach is, <laughs> it's it, the time commitment is way too much for me, and I'm not committed to that. I'm committed got, to football. You got too many kids, man. I got, you can't I got be a coach. I, I, that's probably the easier answer. I got too many kids, you know. So it's one of those <laughs> things where um, my kiddos. They, they took a back burner when it comes to when I was playing in the league. Yes, now sir. I'm out. Now I get to I get to be around. I get to play golf. I get to you know I get to give back foundation. I'm like coaching. Hold on. I mean I can I can you know as far as mentoring and and you know going out to Lake Travis because I live out in this area. Um, going going out to certain where uh, places or going up to UT, going into meeting rooms and being with the coaches and all that. That's that that's what I do have time to, and I love doing that to give back that way. But um. Uh, I'm being a philanthropist and giving back right now is my main goal. Um, um, but yeah, yeah. All I know is if you went into that house and, and told Miss Brittany, hey, I'm going to go coach at Texas. <laughs> like, uh, no. Look around like, not. where's the you're cameras not. at? Are y'all, y'all, oh, yeah. Y'all. Am I being punked? Where's Pastor Kutcher? That ain't <laughs> happening. And he's like, he's coaching now. He's coaching his kids. And, oh, and, what be- and what better thing to do than coach your kids, man? Um, yeah. uh, Kirk, do you have anything else? Because, I mean, you've been yeah, so generous with his time. Yeah, just one thing. You know, your ability to strip ball carriers of the ball. <laughs> uncanny, that punch. uncanny ability to punch the ball out. And I don't know how many fumbles you caused, but – you and the only other one I can really remember at UT in 50 years, Bryant Westbrook used to do that at California uh, DB. But I don't know why that's not taught more. It must have just been innate and instinctive with you, DJ. But I'm, I'm always shocked why it's not taught more in college. You, you, you know what? It, it is taught. It's not taught enough because there are drills. Because I, I go to practice. I go to different different practices, even high school and colleges. They do uh, put an emphasis on it. Um, yeah. But it's, it's it's not taught enough. Like it's not taught enough. It's it's because it's so important, right? Like if I knock the ball out, we get the ball back. That's that's a turnover. That's that's Dude. for defense. Yeah. That's the number one thing, right? Yes, sir. You create turnovers at the end of the day. Get off the field on third down and create turnovers. And uh, it, I had some kind of knack, and I loved it uh, doing practice. I was intentional about, and it was just my last year. I didn't do it my other years. At Texas, my last year, I think I got like a record, like 10 or 11. But yeah, uh, when you talk about um, now, you got to be very confident in your tackling ability because when yes. you come, come across, you can't because you got to secure the tackle 
and then hit it out. Cause that, I mean, yeah. I'm sure I've got 10, 10 tackles where I hit and it didn't come out, but yeah, but it's one of those things down. where, yeah, it, it's one of those things about being intentional about it. And once you get a couple, man, it's something about uh, confidence, something about confidence, especially with young players. Uh, when you get out there and I started knocking that ball out, man. And I, the, the famous one is uh, uh, with OU, even though we lost that, barely lost that game with uh, Jason White. I, I did an inside move on uh, Adrian Peterson and, and he's tried to chase him out the pocket and I grabbed and secured wow. the tackle and knocked that ball out and Philip Giger uh, uh, picked it up. That was one of those hype moments, but it's all about turnovers at the end of the day. So I, I do think um, defenses across the league, I probably shouldn't say that to everybody, but when it comes to UT, let's just say UT, because I want them to be great at uh, getting turnovers. Yeah. Uh, do it more. Do it more. I mean, and there's other ways to do it, you know, other than punching the ball out. I mean, you know, grabbing it and stripping it out, but being able, especially if somebody is on the guy, other guy go in. You don't need get to that ball. try get to, that yeah, ball. get the ball out. You don't need yeah. a half a tackle. You need a strip. I just, I'll never forget that. The, you know, that was your signature move among a lot yeah. of stuff. You know what? I saw Baker Mayfield uh, at, at the Lake Travis um, um, golf um, golf tournament the other day. And you know what? First thing he said, I was introducing myself. I said, oh, man, I know you, man, DJ, man. That's all I think about is that, that knockout strip punch. I'm like, That's hey, love right that's there. Crazy. That's love. <laughs> that's love right there. Yeah. I like yeah. it. I like it. I like it. Well, man, we, we cannot thank you enough. Um, it's still going. The Defended Dream Foundation is is this is not a one time thing. So um, yep. for anyone that wants to donate to the Defend the Dream Foundation, how do how do they do that, DJ? Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks. Uh, Derek Johnson Foundation dot org. Derek Johnson Foundation dot org. It's one of those. Um, uh, if you I always want to say that if you're passionate about giving back, if you're passionate about inner city kids through education, you can jump on board with me. I mean, as far as advisory boards, hit me up or any kind of uh, email. Uh, but I tell you what, man, we are doing big things here in the community of Austin, and uh, we want you to be a part of it. Such awesome. a blessing. Such awesome. a blessing. Man, we, appre- we appreciate you. We appreciate what you're doing. We appreciate you coming on to the podcast. And yeah. we're going to have you again. Love chopping it up with you. And we'll, we'll definitely see you this fall. At DJR. DJ, we appreciate it, man. All right, now hook them. Mad respect. Be careful. All right, now. On second thought, Duck, one of the most comprehensive podcasts in on second thought history, all over the culture issues at Texas, all over Bob Bowlesby telling us why, why he's stepping aside. And Derek Johnson helping the community and just being the one of the coolest guys that we've ever covered at that university. What what a great show today, man. It was so much fun. Did we talk too much? I mean, of course we did. Oh, that's what we do. We bring that's, it for we bring it, we bring it for our audience and we we love your comments and we're getting them. We're getting them. And 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 it means a lot to be able to to come to you each week in this podcast. And we're going to be back next week with even more. We're going to preview that spring game coming up, Duck. Uh, that's going to be fun. And we're going to, we're going to talk about a lot of other stuff because that's what we do.
<laughs> that's going to do it for episode 256 of On Second Thought. Thanks to Bob Bowlesby. Thanks to DJ. And he's the duck. I'm Sad Golden. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to On Second Thought, powered by Hook'em.com. Join Seth and Kirk every Thursday at lunch for a new episode. Archived episodes are available on iTunes and Google Android Play. 